such a thing as a tyranny of the timelines. Uh, and I, I'm probably going to talk a little bit about that tonight because that is in the forefront of my mind these days as uh, I talk to more and more people and, and process saying goodbye and all the other things that go along with it. Uh, and the general area that I uh, oftentimes uh, talk to people about in terms of grief and loss. And uh, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, welcome to May 6th. I am Dr. Ray Mitch, your host for Love You Later by the podcast, Psych Monologues. I'm holding that out as a, a, a colon after or a subtitle after the Love You Later by podcast just to keep my options open. Um, and uh, it is a delight for me to spend some time with you uh, just to talk through uh, what I've been referring to as kind of life lessons. Uh, things to consider in terms of how we live our lives, what we do in our relationships, and what does it look like uh, to uh, even go so far as to say, how, uh, how do I do relationships as Jesus would? And so um, the timelines is something that has been rolling around in my mind for a while, and I'll get to the life lesson here in a sec, but... Um, what, what oftentimes I refer to it as is kind of the tyranny of the timelines. Whenever we enter an experience, it seems like we are ingenious in creating and constructing about how much time it should take us to get through, excuse me, to get through that. And it's amazing. It, it, it is nothing short of stunning. And we do that with many of our experiences. Now, oftentimes it is with painful experiences and, and uh, uh, unhappy experiences. <clears throat> it oftentimes isn't for the things that we really, really enjoy. We get so enthralled with the things that we enjoy that oftentimes it is over way, way, way too soon. And that's what you hear people say. It's like, um, man, I wish this could go on for so much longer. The reverse is also true, that when I go through losses and goodbye and the, the, the sense of grief I have around a variety of experiences, it is, it is shocking how quickly the voice of shame begins to arise in saying that, if, if, for example, in saying, well, if you were really a good Christian, you'd be over this by now, or this should be way easier to handle than it is. Or if, if you're so wonderful at helping other people, why can't you help yourself? And so the timeline becomes a tyrant and I should be over it by now. And, and oftentimes I have been known to say that should is a kissing cousin to shame uh, because they are so often connected. Now, I am not talking about moral shoulds. There are plenty of those that we can wrap our head around and embrace and understand like, I shouldn't or I should tell the truth. That is a moral should. But how much time I take in processing my loss is not a moral should. The reality is, is that should oftentimes is connected to other people's perceptions of us. As, and sometimes I wish that I could help people be honest enough with themselves that other people's perceptions are not really other people's perceptions. <laughs> they are my perceptions attributed to other people. In I suppose in some of my more snarky moments, 
I might say to somebody, well, if if that's other people's perceptions, then I guess I'm I'm assuming that uh, you've taken a poll of all the people that are around you and checked out what their opinion is in regards to how long it's taking you to get through your loss or the adjustment to a new situation or you know the the situation that we're in now. A lot of people think that that adjusting to whatever we're calling a new normal should be way easier and should take a lot less time. And that tyranny is the very thing that robs us of the opportunity or even the ability to adapt. And it's it's really quite shocking to watch. And I, I, I never cease to be amazed in uh, what I see myself doing and I see other people doing. We get very disenchanted. And the reality is it's not really about timelines. It's about Basically, I want this to be over and I am going to pronounce it over now and uh, it should be over by now and then my life can get back to quote unquote, here it comes, normal, as if normal was something that I really wanted to embrace in the first place, which is a whole other subject at hand. So <clears throat> the tyranny of the timelines is is a very big part, I think, of our uh, ability to adapt to a new situation that we don't like and when we lay a timeline on it and say I should be over this by now uh, often inhibits and interferes with our ability to actually adapt to it itself and that's something that that has been uh, pressing in on my consciousness as I've been thinking through and talking like I said to people and and recently I've been talking to uh, a lot of the students that are graduating and uh, I've had a lot of people a lot of students say well I knew this was coming I don't know why this is so hard or probably a month out or so I should be over it by now and again that that key word is, should is a really really fatal word now let me enunciate this very carefully so you hear me because in a lot of cases, I will quote some uh, a very famous psychologist. As a matter of fact, he was named uh, one of the uh, 50 most influential psychologists in uh, the last century. And his name was Albert Ellis. And what he used to say when he heard people talking about should is, is he'd look them in the eye and say, you know, you really should, you really should stop shoulding all over yourself course he uses a should to say that you really got to stop shooting all over yourself because we use that as an imperative and we compare ourselves to a target that is impossible to hit if we were just able to figure out a way to be honest enough with ourselves to say I don't like this it's uncomfortable I feel helpless and inadequate to be able to handle this and I can say this to somebody else who ends up looking me in the eye and, and says, yep, I've been there too. I get that. I understand that completely. And uh, all I can do is I'm not going to offer you some cheap solutions or some platitude. Uh, I'll, uh, let's just talk about it. And you want to vent, go vent. Vent, vent ahead is, the, is one way to put it. Which actually brings me to uh, the, the life lesson that I want to talk about today. Uh, and, and we've been looking at a variety of things in relationships, in the relationships we have 
Uh, I think yesterday we were talking a little bit about you can't give away what you don't own. And I spent some time talking about our hearts as it's biblically understood and what it takes to take care of it and tend the well that is ours, uh, that is at the, the, the uh, core, uh, core of our being. And, this, and the next one I want to talk about is, simply put, it's um, love flourishes in freedom. Love flourishes in freedom. Now, you might hear that, and I've, I've, heard, I've seen a lot of people when I've said it, and they look at me like, okay, um, I'm not sure that's all that profound. But I would suggest to you that there's a lot about our relationships that is seeded with a uh, management and I might even go so far as to say a manipulation of other people's perceptions. And one way to look at that is that we are stealing their opportunity to choose on, on their own. And when it really comes right down to it, we hate that. We really don't like that. We don't like people to come to their own conclusions about us, about me. So I want to influence it. I want to uh, manage it. I want to manipulate it, um, however you want to put it. So we start out with love flourishes in freedom. And the emphasis here is freedom. The one thing I would remind us of is that our faith is founded on freedom. Christ came so that we could be free. He quotes in one of his first statements of his ministry out of Isaiah 61 where it says he came to set the captives free and those captives are me and I need to be set free. Now, because it is, it is the cornerstone of our faith and maybe that's overstating it so um, uh, cut me a break. <laughs> But why did Jesus come? He came to free us. But he, fr he came to free us to do what? Sometimes we never ask that question. I mean, I, I, I can lean in on this idea that he came to free me. I got that. I'm all over that. I mean, as a matter of fact, it was an ancient um, heresy that Paul was even addressing in Romans. And, and, it, and he addressed it, uh, I believe it, it would be in chapter 8, where he said, Should I sin all the more so that grace may abound? And he basically said, may it never be. So there, there are two sides of this coin. On the one hand, freedom is not the same as having license to do anything I want without any responsibility and any consequences. That is not freedom. On the other hand, we tend to correct for that and correct for our propensity for living and thinking that way by imposing a sense of legalism, our own internal law. Now, we may say I'm saved by faith and free, but I live by a whole set of rules, much like the Pharisees did, except that it's internalized to me. And so he came to free us to, to do what? And to do what is to either choose him or not. In the final analysis, he came to free us so that we could choose. 
You see, it's something that I sometimes will be known to refer to as the celestial gamble. God knew the moment that we fell into sin that he was going to have to redeem us somehow. And so he was going to have to have somebody come and pay the price for the, the horrifying effects of sin and the corrupting effects on our spiritual DNA that it has on us. But in a sense, God, God made a celestial gamble. And that was, I'm going to send my son into this world and I'm going to send him so that he can set people free. And that way they can choose me or not choose me. Because the reality is, is any choice is always bifurcated. It's all always bilateral. Either I say yes, and therefore I'm saying no, or I say no, and therefore I'm rejecting the yes. So the celestial gamble is I'm going to set them free. And, and that way they can choose me. The interesting thing I would point out to us about that little kind of scenario, if you will, is God put into us the very thing that was the essence of his character. In scripture, it's referred to as the Imago Dei, the image of God. Now, granted, ours, our reflecting of that image of God is extremely corrupted and distorted. But at the same time, it's still there. If we look deeply into our own hearts, what is the one thing that we desire in our relationships? And usually it comes down to being chosen. Being chosen. And where do you suppose that comes from? The thing, the, the thing that we value so much, where does that come from? And I would suggest to you that it is rooted and anchored in the character of God. Because he wants to be chosen. And we reflect that in, in how we uh, engage our relationships. So going back to my earlier point, why is it that I spend so much time managing people's perceptions? Because I want them to choose me on a certain level on, with certain information and I am convinced that if they knew the other information that I don't want them to have, they won't. And so God wants to be chosen just like us. And the only way to be chosen is it by anyone is from people that are free, not people that are controlled into doing it. And that's kind of the illusion. And I'll talk about this uh, tomorrow night is the illusion is, is that if I spend all of my time managing and uh, uh, managing other people's perceptions of me, and then they agree with me, then I say, well, pff, what good is that? They've just stepped up and did what I manip manipulated them into or managed them into. See, we, we've got a nice little bubble around us that manages both things. So we have people that are relentlessly accepting of us and we say, ah, they're just being nice. Or we have people that are relentlessly rejecting of us and say, we're telling, they're telling the truth. And see, that's, that's a good part of what we have to talk about. I can only be chosen if the people around me are free to choose. And that's a gamble that most of us are not really willing to take. 
So the life lesson here that I would throw out is that we need to do the same thing in our own lives with people. We have to find ways to allow them to be free to have, uh, or I'm sorry, we have to allow them the freedom to choose even wrongly, even wrongly. And that's a hard pill to swallow. See, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with people choosing and having the freedom to choose as long as they choose the way I want them to. <laughs> but when they choose a way that's different than I want them to, then I'm not so sure that I'm into this freedom thing. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that I'm convinced. So what does this mean in terms of what I just said? I... I, I if, if I am going to accentuate and expand the freedom of the people around me, even to choose the wrong thing, then I have to trust that process. And that is not an easy thing to do. The thing that we find out, if we trust the process of, of freeing people around us to choose is what we will find is oftentimes the consequences that we are so fastidiously working overtime to help them avoid will teach them far more effectively and far more loudly than my profuse and wise profundity that is offered to them to save them from those consequences. See, we see consequences as punishment. And in some ways, we have those two terms kind of synonymously defined. But consequences that are as a result of the choices that I make oftentimes teach me far more effectively than a friend saying, you know, that probably isn't a real good idea. And you're probably going to pay certain consequences. But when I listen to that, I say, what do you know? I, you're not in my skin. You don't know my experience. You know, get out of my dreams, whatever it is that I'll say. And I shrug my shoulders and say, okay. But see, the true test of friendship, <laughs> the true challenge of friendship is being there when the consequences are actually experienced. I would say that it, it probably is even the most loving and sacrificial thing to do to still be a friend in the face of the consequences that somebody has experienced and find a way to stuff a sock in my mouth and not say, hey, dude, I told you so. I told you it was going to turn out this way. And see, this, is, this might be where the real self-sacrifice comes in is I keep my mouth shut. And I commiserate with them and probably say the most profound thing that I possibly can say to somebody when they have experienced consequences, even as a result of ignoring my warnings or other people's warnings, and instead say to them, yep, me too. I've gone down that route before. It really sucks to be in this place. And I, I'm... I'm, I'm with you in it. There, are, there is plenty of grace that creates the space so that we can learn and do something differently the next time. Our propensity is to pay attention almost entirely to the consequences. 
and how painful they are. And they are. I'm, I'm, I'm not denying that at all. The worst part about a lot of consequences is having to continue to pay them given the kinds of decisions that sometimes we make. But quite honestly, between you, me, and the hedge post fence, <laughs> sorry, it's an old Hoosier slang thing. Quite honestly, I think I'm probably more likely to change when I have somebody say, uh, yeah, me too, I, I've done that. And usually I'll turn around and ask them for some 12 quick steps to correct the problem. And if they're really the kinds of friends that I hope that they would be, they say, uh, not, not really. I can't offer you a formula for the life that you're li living and the choices you have to make. But I can be your friend through it. And we can talk further about that as it goes along. See, freedom is the key. It is the one antidote, at least one of them of the antidotes, that corrects and brings back into line our corrupted DNA, even our corrupted spiritual DNA. And the challenge that I have is, do I love somebody enough to allow them to experience the consequences, be empathic and, and supportive of how difficult and um, uncomfortable it is, even though they want me to save them, and resign as director of the universe. And, and the universe isn't the universe, uh, you know, whatever that includes. But the universe I'm speaking of is the universe of the relationship I'm in and the people that I am in relationship with. So love flourishes in freedom. It resists the control of others. It sets people free. And then when we are chosen, when we are chosen, it is freely chosen. And the level of love and acceptance that I can actually experience in that situation is indescribable. Not easy to come by, but it is indescribable. And it is a it gives us, I think, and gives me a sense of being home. That's kind of the definition of home, isn't it? Being accepted as you are, not as you should be, because we're never going to be what we should be. And there's the should again. Well, that's it for tonight. I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you for joining me, to, uh, to, uh, for joining me with the Love You Later by, uh, by the podcast. Uh, I will remind you of a few things. Grand Central Station, the, the digital hub of, of the world for uh, the podcast is, is called The Dangerous Community. It can be found at drmitch.com, M-I-T-S-C-H. Uh, I would encourage you to, to hit the website. There are a few things that are going to be popping up there uh, in the next couple of days. Uh, one will probably be a retrospective video that I have been talking about on the podcast here that if you'd like to take a look at uh, the, the wide expanse of the last year and some of the seniors that have been a part of my life and graced my life um, and uh, the life of the CCU psych department, uh, you can get an interior view and hear some of the, the comments and last words that uh, some of my fellow professors have for uh, our students. 
and so you can look in on that <clears throat> and, uh, and, and see that. The second thing is I'm going to be reposting uh, a last lecture that I was talked into doing a couple of years ago uh, that uh, actually talks a lot about these life lessons that I've been talking about uh, on the podcast here with Love You Later by the podcast. So uh, there's that. <clears throat> the other thing I would uh, encourage you to take a look at, prayerfully consider, uh, is to partner with uh, me and CCU uh, to create a fund to support students going on a silent retreat. If you go to the website and click on the CCU tab and go down to silent retreats, you will see it there. It's a GoFundMe site that that, that uh, we will have an ongoing effort to raise money uh, to make it possible for students to go on a silent retreat, which I've often called it a new but ancient way of engaging God uh, it, that uh, oftentimes is life-changing and transformative. Uh, in one of these podcasts coming up, I'm probably going to do a couple of interviews with some of the students that have come through our program about the silent retreat, just so you can get a little bit of a idea of their experiences and and what it was like and and why it is it is so important so i would encourage you to prayerfully consider um, supporting that effort in uh, the silent retreat ccu silent retreat fund last thing is i would remind you and just encourage you to subscribe to the podcast uh, once i get past the end of this week which has been kind of the period or trial period of time that i was rolling this out and trying to address some of these issues uh, for uh, my graduating seniors. Uh, I will turn my attention back to more general topics in regards to loss and grief and, and the things that people experience around that. And uh, it will truly become the Love You Later By podcast and a psych monologue about each of those things. Uh, but we won't be doing the daily gig. Uh, I, I bit off more than I can chew. I will uh, confess that to you and trying to do this every night, well, five nights a week. Uh, so I, I will turn to doing it uh, once or twice a week. And so you will have uh, probably a little bit longer podcast to consider in a little longer form. Uh, and I will have the opportunity to include more uh, reflections from people besides me and also just um, a longer uh, uh, what do I want to say, a longer uh, discussion about that. I always hesitate to say discussion because it's only me, so I don't know what kind of discussion I can have other than a really scary one that might frighten people. So um, there you have it. Thanks for joining me tonight. Uh, and as always, I will end with love you later. Bye. Bye.